I think we all want to believe that things are going to turn out good for us in the end. We all imagine ourselves as kind of the, the hero of the story in a, in a sense. And that makes you feel good. helps you, helps you create a path. And so for me, it's like every, everything you do in life that's worth pursuing, if you envision it having a positive ending, then you can kind of see it as a story. Where are we going and how, how might it get derailed if we make the wrong choice? What might happen along the way that would make this more interesting? Um, and, and then it kind of helps just put little frameworks around everything you do. Um, I'm not so story obsessed that I do that all the time, but I do think like, what is the, what is the trajectory of this endeavor look like and how might it go wrong? You know, and, and who can come along and help me? And, you know, what would I need to learn to become a thing? So, or, you know, or someone worth following if I were someone paying attention to my story. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm glad you're joining me today. We're talking to a, a, an amazing guy that I had so much fun talking with. Uh, today we're hearing from the, the principal at a video production company in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, he runs the place. He's a creative. He's a musician. He's a writer. He's a videographer. He's a photographer. This, this guy, he's a storyteller. And he's a big Johnny Cash fan, and you're going to find out why in the interview. Uh, Kevin Romeo leads a team of video storytellers at Rhino Media in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that has done some amazing work. Uh, and today, Kevin shares his story with the Storytellers Network, uh, his, his craft, his stumbles, his successes, in other words, his story. Now, as we get into that conversation today, just a reminder, you can find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for more resources, for information on how to tell your story. Great. This podcast is meant to be an inspiration. There's some amazing tactical advice out there as well and strategy, and we link to some of those in the resources page on thestorytellersnetwork.com. And hey, if you like what I'm doing here, please consider leaving a review over on Apple Podcasts. Now, let's get to the stories. All right, it's Kevin Romeo from Rhino Media in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Man, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely, dude. Happy to be here. So I mentioned in the intro and just now, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. So obviously, as a video production company, a production house, you, you've, you're in a town that people maybe have heard of, but it's not like you know Detroit, Chicago, L.A. Um, is there? I mean, why, why Kalamazoo? Well, why Kalamazoo is because I was here. Um, there's not really an answer beyond, um, geographically, I grew up about a half hour from here mm. and I went to Western and to me coming into Kalamazoo, I thought Kalamazoo was a very big city, uh, when I was coming out of high school. Now, now I know better and I've been to a lot of much bigger areas, but for me, Kalamazoo seemed like plenty big. Um, when we started our company, frankly, I was actually living in Pawpaw uh, about eight, and a half years ago, my life was in a really different spot, just kind of really down and out, so to speak, and mm. couldn't get much traction after college. So um, 
I was living in Papa, and a couple of friends of mine were talking about doing a media company. Um, and I was always in a photography and I thought, um, I was all in on the idea. So we started it and it was kind of like, well, where should we set up home base? Should it be in Papa? And if we go there, maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll get something really quick and people know about us. And Kalamazoo is a really big, a big area. How, how will we make an impact there? So we ended up deciding that Pawpaw really didn't have much to offer, obviously, in terms of what we could do. So looking back, it's kind of a funny thing to even think about. But um, it didn't actually take us too long to, to you know, kind of connect with everyone in Kalamazoo we, that we would need to connect with. So why Kalamazoo is we were here. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and it, and it kind of shows, I mean, you don't, you don't have to be in those gigantic cities to be a storyteller. So you can even do video in a relatively, you know, medium sized city. So I think that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Now do you consider, so you mentioned being in photography, do you consider yourself a storyteller in general? Do you consider yourself more of a photographer? Is it kind of the same thing? Like how does that fit for you? Yeah. So it's funny cause when I was a kid, I felt like there were people that I was close with or friends with that were really good at just picking up a story and telling a story and captivating everyone around them and pulling them in. And I never really felt like I was that good at that or blessed with that like inherent gift. Um, I love to make friends and I love to build relationships. Um, and it's only been like through, I would say the course of uh, my maturing from high school to college to professional life, creative life in that developing that skill um, I feel really confident and comfortable with that now, but just as a kid, I never thought of myself as like a storyteller. I would always say I was more of an artist and I loved photography. I loved painting. Um, and really, uh, it's funny you mentioned that like us as a video company, we're definitely a production company, but we've always kind of married, um, creative with production in a way that we ended up referring to as a story company, kind of putting them together. Um, cause we knew we were more than just making videos. Um, but we didn't want to just be the company that was creative and having ideas. We wanted to be able to execute on that. So uh, a couple of years ago we rebranded Rhino as just Rhino story company. So, um, I do consider myself a storyteller now. Um, anytime I give a talk, I talk a lot with college classes or I've done a few keynotes, um, you know, or, or some event wants a speaker, I'll do that. And I mean, yeah, you start off every talk with a story and you have a, a crowd that's hooked um, and they're into you and they get a lot of who you are in that one little story before you have to tell them anything else. So I, I would say that. And so as a story company, rather than like a, a media company, you have obviously multifaceted ways to tell a story. So you're helping companies and brands and other entities tell their stories. Did I hear that right? Uh, yeah, so it, it can be tell their story or it can be tell the story of how a thing came to be, whether that's a, um, a product, a service, their process, their culture. Um, there's a million ways you can integrate story into everything you do as a company. And what we try to do is help people see that and find the best ways to kind of exploit what's really great about a company. Exploit's kind of a negative word, but I, I mean in the, in the sense that there's something great there. Let's pull that out. Let's find a way to communicate it via story. Um, and for us, the stories manifest themselves into video, animation, photography. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so one of the stories I saw recently that I want to ask about is um, Stryker uh, did a uh, Stryker EMT or Stryker paramedics, right? They, they did a story about being a, a first responder in the city in Utah. So yep. a couple of things on this. I mean, you told 
your company told an amazing story through video now, but it, but it was out of Provo, Utah. Did you guys travel there? Do you have work with freelancers? Like how does that work for a Kalamazoo company? Yeah. So we don't actually work with freelancers a ton. My whole vision with growing our company was that we'd be one cohesive team. Um, we do hire freelancers occasionally, but for the most part, we keep everything in house. So when those things happen, we are the team that flies there and sets up shop in that location. And so how that looks like is um, we'll have several phone calls with the people locally and kind of get to know them and get to hear their story and get to hear what they're passionate about, what it looks like in the work they're doing and all that. And then we will establish which crew is going to go out and, and film for that trip. And we never have as much time as you think or you would <laughs> want. So that Provo piece you saw, we were in Provo for only three and a half days. So we basically flew into Salt Lake City on, I want to say like a Sunday night. Um, and then we filmed on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we left Thursday at like noon, flew back out. So you pretty much spend sun up to sundown filming um, on those trips. And for like whatever final, I don't recall how long that video is. It's final cut time, but um, there's, you know, 10 X the amount of footage that's not being used that we filmed. So um, it's a lot, but um, we love it. And it's fun. Um, if you want to develop a, a thing where you had like relationships and freelancers all over the country, you could, but for Rhino, the quality expectation we have and the artistry that we put into our projects is just really high. Most of the industry does do that. Like they'll just call up, like we get calls from, um, you know, agencies and, and companies out of places like New York or California. They say, Hey, there's a shoot going on in, in Kalamazoo or somewhere in Michigan. Can you guys do that? What's your cost? Da, da, da. And you know, that system works for a lot of the industry, but for us, we would prefer if at all possible to keep our, our, um, our cinematographers, our directors and our team on that project. So we know we can control the outcome. So, yeah. yeah. So when you work with a team like that, uh, you know, um, so, so I picture it this way as if I'm a consider myself a storyteller and I want to work with video, whether I want to create a YouTube channel or I want to think about getting into that storytelling through video world, filmmaking, documentaries, TV, whatever. Um, what, what should I prepare myself for when it comes to collaborating? How, how does that work in a team like that? Um, so if you're wanting to make a documentary, you say, yeah, or any kind of story, like, you know, cause I, I, I think of myself as a storyteller personally. And so I'm yeah. a writer, right? But as a writer, I can do it very alone. Yes. But if I want to start to create videos, I mean, I yep. kind of feel like it's more than just myself, right? Well, uh, it all depends on what style of production you want and what ultimately the final impact is of the piece you want to make. Um, <clears throat> I think if, if I were you and I wanted to create a, you know, a film project, you certainly can start by, you know, filming your own stuff and kind of doing the Casey Neistat vlogging style um, just so you kind of get familiar at least with the, the, the headaches and the heartaches about filmmaking. And then you can be more empathetic to the people that do it and have a better connection with them. So you don't just show up and, and expect a button to get pushed and things to happen. Uh, so that kind of self-education is really good. Um, and I think you just need to determine where on the spectrum of artistic quality your thing needs to fall and then decide who's a good fit for that and what team members you might need. Um, a lot of people in the video film 
you know, media in the media industry. And that's a giant broad category I just created there, but uh, there's a lot of talkers and I don't mean to sound like, uh, I'm not at times a talker. I can be a talker and I have lots of big ideas, but it's just kind of notorious space for like talking about your big idea. And then there's a lot less percentage of people who actually execute and finish the thing. So when we were younger, um, you know, five, six years ago, when we put out our uh, Michigan beer film, uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but what that did for me and Rhino was it, it solidified that when we go out and start talking about something, we actually will finish it and have a big premiere and get 900 people to come view it and make a big splash and, you know, do so. I didn't really get that that was a thing at the time. I just knew that I wanted to do it, but I started realizing the value of making all this press and promotion and then actually delivering on it um, really, really goes a long way to build trust in the people that follow you. So um, that's the biggest problem with video people in general uh, and create, I should, I should say actually creatives is they love to talk about their big ideas, but they don't realize that until you finish the thing, you kind of haven't earned the right in the minds of the public and the people that know you uh, to their trust because so far you're all you're you're a lot of talk, and that's why no matter what, if you if you're gonna endeavor into something, you need to be able to you need to be able to know if it's possible to finish and what does it look like to finish, and then be able to communicate to the people that follow you. This is done. Here's why. Here's what we did. So we just finished another documentary um, called My Turn, which is about a guy with ALS really great guy, lives in Kalamazoo, he's got a great family. And it was a very emotionally exhausting project for our team to take on. And, um, but there's a lot of work in, in the thoughtfulness between, you know, starting from very, the nexus or the very beginning of the thing saying the, you know, what are we making here? What is the goal of this? Who does this need to impact? And, and how good does this need to be from an artistic sense? And what are we willing to bend on and what are we not willing to bend on and things like that. So there's a million questions we asked, um, but I, mean, I hate to make it so simple, but really just doing and executing and finishing yeah. is kind of every person's journey that wants to get into it, I guess. And it's kind of what sets you apart. It sounds like if you're, you, that's how you can rise above is actually get things done. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think similar to a lot of professions, you know, people, everybody wants to have the fun job, but, it's not always fun and you got to go push through. Yep. The every, everyday work is what pays off the overnight success. Yep. Um, so what do you, I know you're a, a student of leadership. Uh, you talk about leadership. I know that I've, I've seen that um, in some of your yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. How do you, how do you lead creatives when you have that kind of a collaborative team? You know, how, how do you kind of lead those creatives and help everybody tell a, a, a consistent cohesive story? Yeah. So, um, leading creatives is something that I honestly have wanted to write a book about for a while. Mm. Uh, and then a guy named Todd Henry actually put out a book that basically does what I would want to do. So I, I kind of realized I'm probably not an author. Um, <laughs> but so I would say the big thing with creatives is you need to be able to creatives do want quality leadership. In fact, I would say that even more so like creatives desire quality leadership um, than, than just maybe your, your non-creative role. I don't even know what to call that. But basically, because projects in, in, in essence require so much 
um, so much of your emotional labor that someone with perseverance and someone with quality communication abilities, someone with accountability and someone with vision needs to see them through. And so it's why you see so many creatives end up doing it alone because there's a lack in good leadership in, in the creative realm. Um, but I think, I think Rhino, you know, in all humility, I think Rhino is a good testament to the fact that if it's done well, people are attracted to it because we have, I think 18 people on our team and, you know, people email us daily for, you know, don't want to work here. So, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> if it's done well, it's an attractive thing. And I think the biggest thing, if you pull our team, what they love about working here is almost guaranteed to be the people slash the culture, um, getting to work and do fun stuff with people you love to work with, um, and share life with, frankly. Um, I think half my team went and floated down a river on tubes yesterday for the 4th of July. Um, and nice. just, we're, we're together a lot. So, um, I, you know, I, I think clear, it, it's similar things. I almost think that the same things that make great leadership um, in, in any realm apply to leadership in a creative space. I think the big difference is just like the creatives need to value and respect the creative abilities of that leader. And if you have that and you have that, you know, kind of street cred, so to speak, then, then you're going to be in a good position. But if you, if you want to start a media company and you're a great leader, but you um, have no idea what you're talking about when it comes to creating films or shooting videos or whatever, whatever, um, then I think it's harder to get the buy-in. Um, so I don't yeah. know. I think I kind of rambled on you for a minute. No, that's all right. I think it's good. It's good. I think for people, for listeners to hear, you know, what, how to lead an organization of creatives, but also for creatives to, to hear and say, yeah, that's what I want. And so, yeah, that's, that's a good insight, Kevin. I appreciate it. Um, what do you, what's one of your favorite stories that Rhino has been able to tell? Um, I should have did some homework on that one. <laughs> so we do a lot. I mean, honestly, we do a lot that I get excited about. Um, I would definitely say the EMT, the EMS stuff is up there. Um, that community is just awesome. The, the men and women that work in there, like, and I, I'll be honest, I'm the guy who, whenever, you know, when the people are standing up at a big event and they say, hey, if you're a veteran, stand up, if you're a police, fire, stand up. And whenever they would say EMTs, I used to always go, why EMTs? I don't get it. They're not, they're, they're not putting their life on the line. You know, to me, they always felt a little different. I didn't like how they always got lumped in, but through this process, I apologize to that community, those people that, that work in those, in those positions because seeing their lives through the lens of the camera and the, the, pro, the projects we work on, um, it is actually pretty remarkable, the work they do, the, the scenes they happen upon, the, the balance of life that's in their hands sometimes when they arrive to a scene, the hysteria of family members or people that are nearby it's a very tough job and I've definitely seen that. Um, and just really quality people, like really quality people that are invested in that work. Um, you know, we filmed out in Vegas for the first project and then this next one in Provo, I wasn't in Vegas, but I was in Provo. So, um, just wonderful people and very, very much so. So I would definitely say that. Um, <clears throat> and really anytime someone that's opening up about their passion, um, it's, it's going to be something that you connect with. That's one of the beauties of the work that we get to do 
we always feel like we're really privileged in the work we get to do because we get to live in someone else's shoes even just for a few days or a week or a month. Um, we get to live in their world and learn a lot about them and empathize with them. And then we get to go and live in someone else's world for a while. So you kind of get this chameleon-like personality sometimes working in, in film production. Um, mm -hmm. And something I always say when I'm interviewing or, or when I'm kind of developing the craft of what we're going to say and what we want to pull out of someone is like at the bottom line, at the heart of all this, I want to hear you just say that what you do changes lives. And to what extent that does that, I want to understand how. So when we filmed with Shawarma King, how does your food change lives? That's it. That's what I want to get down to. It takes a long time to get there, to funnel that down to that core message. Um, and everyone's different. People need to be opened up differently. Um, you know, and like you kind of got to find the avenue to get them there, to get their mind and their heart in that spot. Um, but in its essence, at its core, that's kind of where I'm digging to. It's where I'm mining. So if you can get there, they're always fun and they're always awesome. So Yeah, that's cool, Kevin. I like that. Um, well, yeah. something, something I heard you say there too is that story changes perception, right? So if you can help someone tell a story or hear a story, we can change perception. And then, you know, 2018 here with the, the climate as it is in a lot of different areas and with social media, <clears throat> giving everybody a voice and like this platform of I'm going to tell you what to think. I mean, this is yeah. a way to actually help people see things differently is through story, especially yeah. video. Right. I mean, that's powerful. Yep. Uh, yeah. And so, um, <laughs> right on, man. I agree with you. I don't know. I don't mm. think that. I, yeah. I, as a person who like cares about the level of, of quality discourse in our country, like, yeah, I definitely want people to be, educated and 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 respectful and you know non-hypocritical and all those things so for me sharing a quality story um and and sharing it the right way and and inviting people to the table that you want to hear it is all just an art form that i think everybody can get better at as they grow and learn and i think we're all diving into this new horizon of media social media whatever the internet version whatever point we're at now <laughs> right. uh, it's all just figured out as we go and it's amazing how fast it changed it's amazing to see when you look around how it's affecting things and some of it's really good and some of it's not so good um i try to stay positive but sometimes you just look up and you say what in the world <laughs> like what in the world exactly now is that part of is that one of the reasons why you started the civil coffee house too then to have those stories yes. shared i love it yep. man so I've always wanted to start a coffee shop, um, just kind of emotionally attached to the idea. Um, I think on my honeymoon, I got married the same year that we started Rhino and on my honeymoon, I, you know, visited a few places and I thought, man, it'd be wonderful to have a coffee shop like this back where I'm from. Cause there's good coffee shops around here, but you know, you always want to try to do something different and it never was a possibility. Rhino was occupying all my time. And um, I think I just, over the years, getting to travel to so many cool places. And, uh, you know, I've traveled to Nepal, Israel, um, all over the U.S. And uh, had coffee in all those locations. It's always a little bit of a different experience. And I want to bring some of that back home. And when we were developing the idea for the coffee shop, it was in um, – uh, 2016 when we were kind of thinking through what a name might be and what the 
the brand might be about and all that stuff. And um, I actually pulled an inspiration from the Michigan beer film, which was a documentary we made five years ago about the Michigan craft beer scene and its impact on culture, but how the brewery was such a center of culture for communities for people to get together over a beer and talk about their lives and issues they're having and, and issues they see in society and, and just the quality of, of society you have when people do get together in person in real life to talk, look each other in the eye and, and respectfully disagree or agree or whatever. And I think the more opportunities we can create in society to do that in a healthy way is good. And that's why I created civil house. And that's why we named it civil house. And cause we wanted to add another mix, a place to the mix in Kalamazoo where you could do that. And so we got a whole bunch of ideas of how we want to promote that more and some events we're going to put on soon, but it's all kind of in the works. That's cool. And there again, there's a story behind it. So yep, <laughs> it's always, cool. there's always a story. Um, so yep. I want to, I want to tackle something. You, you, you mentioned the, the beer film a couple of times the, um, and, and how you, you created um, a premiere. You got, you know, hundreds of people out there. You did this promotion and, and, uh, and press stuff. So as a, as a storyteller listening uh, to the show right now, uh, how, how are we supposed to get our stories out there today? You know, what, what are any kind of ideas or inspiration or real life tips that you can, that you can kind of share um, Kevin with, with those listeners that want to get their story out in this noisy, noisy landscape? Well, um, I think, and, and I think I feel a little hypocritical saying it right now, but when you're just getting starting out, um, you have to be focused and you have to have a consistent thing that other people can see in you that you are passionate about. And if you're constantly just shifting around and you're constantly just trying to, you know, you know, some people, it seems like they're just talking a lot and it's literally just because they want to be an Instagram influencer. And you're, you're kind of thinking like, you're not saying anything of value ever. You're just kind of, you can, there's no substance. There's no depth. And I think people need depth to see that there's more to be had if I were to invest more of my time in you. But if everything's just like a five second consumable thought, then, and, and it doesn't have any sort of consistent track it's following, then it's just, it, it tells me that there's nothing more to be learned or had. So I've come to realize that trust is the biggest, uh, the most important asset you can have in your career. Um, and you can have trust in your networks. Your networks can trust you because you're consistent. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying about finishing what you start. I've done three different Kickstarters now, and I'm not bragging because it's not like I raised $100,000, but a lot of people try to run a Kickstarter and they don't make their funding amount and they get frustrated and they won't try it again. And I wish they would understand that you've got to start small and have a pretty good social gauge of the level of trust and interest in your subject or thing you're working on that, that you can draw from. And if people trust you that you're going to finish the thing, they'll invest and they'll, they'll back your idea. But if frankly, if they don't, trust you that doesn't mean that you're a liar it doesn't mean that you're you know someone that's going to steal from them or they think you're not trustworthy in kind of the the normal sense but you know it's it's the reason why when a brand has earned your trust you give them your money 
without much thought. It limits the amount of time that you need to think about a thing. So if there's a band that you just love and they put on a great show and they're coming to town and you, you know, and they're, they, you're going to, you're not going to spend any time at all when you decide if you want to go or not. But if that band, you know, is unproven or if they haven't been around very long or if like last time they came to town, they showed up drunk and fell off the stage, <laughs> you're not going to, you, you know, you're not going to invest your money as quickly. It's going to take more convincing. So, um, as a creative, having that trust is critical and you, you work to keep it and you make sure that you're, um, stay focused. I think, you know, I sat down with an intern, um, a former intern of Rhino's about a month ago and he was just asking me like, when you started Rhino, how did you get clients? And I said, I think the answer is like, we just started with one client. You start with a single client and you treat them like gold and you do everything you can to make sure that that project is, is done to the very best of your abilities and there's good communication throughout the process and, and you let them go tell other people about you and you don't have to talk about yourself near as much. And I think a lot of people, they want lots of clients. They want lots of gigs and you just have to be willing to suck it up for a while and just work on one at a time until you've earned the reputation of someone who does great work and that fulfills all their promises and, you know, under, under promises and over delivers. Um, so that's, that's how I'd say it, I guess. Yeah. I like that. Focus on one client and help, let help them. And, and then next time get two. like just start yep. small. Yeah. That's really good. Um, what do you, what is it about stories that you love so much? Why do you, why do you love telling stories, whether it's through video, whether it's as a song, uh, yeah you know, as a musician, like, what is it about story that you love so much? I think, I think the thing I like and, and maybe a lot of people would connect with is just the fact that it creates some order out of the chaos of the world. I think the world is chaotic and, you know, people think that the world is beautiful and pretty. And I, I don't, I mean, it can be because of the pursuits of people and, and trying to pursue art and trying to pursue beauty, but the world itself and chaos Nature wants to destroy you. I heard someone put it that way. It's pretty true, you know. Um, if you go live out in the woods, it sounds romantic, but it's actually, um, you won't last long if you don't create some order out of that chaos. And so stories kind of do that in the sense of, you know, looking around and, and life being complicated, a story can help you kind of put a framework to what you're seeing. And, and uh, as a Christian person, obviously the – the Bible's filled with stories and um, there are so many ways in which the, you know, the Jewish people like com communicated their history through these different stories and allowed the younger generations to remember them and pass them down until they could write them down and all that stuff. Um, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and I think just creating a framework of understanding, it's really powerful. I think, you know, if you just try to memorize information, it's really tough. But if you put it in a story, you remember it. It's the same thing with music. If you put it in a song, you remember it. You can remember every lyric to so many songs, but you can't remember some important detail about the guy you just met at the party you're at. And you're like, oh, what's that guy's name? I should have sung it. I should have made a song about his name or something. Um, but you that's another thing with the mind about how you – if you relate them to a thing, like you say, that guy looks like 
you know, that guy looked like the guy who was out on the boat for eight <laughs> hours and had a sunburn or something, you know, or that guy had, you know, whatever. Yep. Then you go, oh, that's right. There's a connection there. And it, yeah. you liken it to a little story. It's, um, it's how your brain remembers things and makes sense out of things. Um, and I think we all want to believe that things are going to turn out good for us in the end. We all imagine ourselves as kind of the, the hero of the story in a, in a sense. And that makes you feel good. helps you, helps you create a path. And so for me, it's like every, everything you do in life that's worth pursuing, if you envision it having a positive ending, then you can kind of see it as a story. Where are we going and how, how might it get derailed if we make the wrong choice? What might happen along the way that would make this more interesting? Um, and, and then it kind of helps just put little frameworks around everything you do. Um, I'm not so story obsessed that I do that all the time, but I do think like, what is the, what is the trajectory of this endeavor look like and how might it go wrong? You know, and, and who can come along and help me? And you know, what would I need to learn to become a thing? So, or, you know, or someone worth following if I were someone paying attention to my story. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Yeah. I'm a, class a rambler so feel free to <laughs> that's good i like i like the rambling the the nuggets the gold comes out of the rambling right um yeah that that's an important thing out of story is is creating that order and getting people like i like what you said too i kind of heard this this and what you said being a good leader means telling good stories because you have to inspire people and put that framework and so that's a it's a great reason to be a good storyteller absolutely yeah what do you what do you find is one of the biggest challenges in storytelling um, I, you know, I've, I've always found it tough. I think early on I found it tough because I never wanted storytelling to equal BSing. Um, I wanted to, you know, tell very, that's why, um, at Rhino, we kind of talk about authenticity being greater than shine. And I think a really well told, well, well made artistic approach to a story that is authentic um, is just the ultimate combo. And I think another like kind of secret sauce about Rhino is we don't, you know, and it sounds kind of funny because we never thought about doing it any other way. But if you look at how production is done in, in traditional sense, it's all made up. It's all just putting words in people's mouths and, and, and a New York producer coming to some town in the Midwest, like Kalamazoo, sitting down with local folk, asking them a couple questions and then, and then saying to them, say this, I just never knew that I could be like this, you know, or just putting words in their mouths. And I always have a really hard time with that. That's, that's not real. You're just trying to get, you're trying to make them be a part of your thing as opposed to pulling out what's in them. And so, so it's an art form and it can be tough to get that, extract that authentic story, but that's where, time and relationships do that work for you. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think too, in, in, in a sense, like I think um, the premise of, of a hero of a story, and they say that like every, every interesting hero has to have wants. If you are writing a story and you can't really identify what your main character really wants and the transformation that they're need to, they're going to have to undergo to get what they want or find out what they need. Um, it's, 
it's not going to be very compelling. And I think sometimes as a, as a person in my seat who's, you know, been, been running this company and, and telling these stories and such for eight years, starting Civil House, I, I've kind of started to ask myself on a personal level, like, what do I, what do I actually want out of life? Because I have a family. I have this great job. I have so many things I feel like I've been blessed with. But at the same time, I kind of have this a little bit of a, I'm 34, so whatever stage of life you want to call it, this crisis of um, what do I actually want? What am I willing to go all in on? I'm not sure what it is because I love Rhino. I love the idea of making more and more films, documentary or narrative. I'd love to, I'd love to create films that go and we can show at Sundance or big film festivals, frankly. Um, but we need to make time for that and make sacrifices if we're going to do that. And that's tough to do in Kalamazoo. You don't have the resources for a lot of that. There's not a big filmmaking community here that would back a film. I don't have any really rich friends that I can ask for money. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to, you know, I'll have to tap into Kickstarter again. And um, hopefully my audience would trust me with, with those types of stories. And yeah, so it, it's all, and it's tough when you have, you know, corporate clients that value the work you do and are willing to pay you to do that type of work for them, setting aside the time for a narrative that's just a passion project is tough. Um, so finding that want personally can be tough. And is that a hard balance to go between, you said, you know, corporate client that's willing to pay you, that's, you, you need to provide for your family and you're still providing a service that is, you know, again, for, for, the, for the rhino culture, you're not going to create a, a bad story for a, a bad company in air quotes. Um, yep. But is, is it still kind of hard to balance that corporate work with what your creative soul brings out? Or are you able to kind of marry the two of them for the most part with your teams? I think in general, we've done a really good job of trying to marry that. But there's definitely some truth to the challenge of doing corporate work and also keeping your team really excited and engaged in the type of work you're doing. Because ultimately, if you're, you're if you're, I think that's one of the things that makes Rhino good at what we do is because we do, we're socially in tune and aware enough to know what we have to do is please the client. In the end, they're the boss. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we hold this really high level of artistic quality and it's just a communicative dance throughout the process to get to the best possible outcome. And you have to have this really balanced ego is this kind of phrase that we've kind of developed around here. It's like, I have a high degree of confidence in my abilities, but I also have a high degree of respect and, and um, you know, self-awareness or awareness of the situation. Know that you're the one paying for this and I've got to serve you and make this really great. And so a better relationship, the more that can happen. Um, but it, it, it's definitely a trick because, you know, thankfully the clients that are around us here that we work with are good. They have good stories, cool products. Um, you know, but we're not, we're not in the, we're not out in Seattle. We're not working with Nike. I mean, they're, they're a lot of manufacturing or, um, or, well, frankly, we're in the Midwest, so it's a lot of manufacturing. But, you know, we're not working with personal brands. We're not working with, like, apparel companies. Those don't exist around here. So you've got to find, you've got to find interesting ways of making these companies that have traditionally been more focused on putting out a quality product but aren't so media savvy or story savvy, so production savvy, and finding a way to make them shine in the, in the way that gets them excited. 
And um, so, yeah, it can be a little tricky. Uh, I think, you know, I, I just literally, I don't know who I was listening to. Um, oh, a guy, sorry, it's a guy from Rhino. So we were just talking about this the other day. And he said he was reading a, a book about um, Leonardo da Vinci or a podcast or something. It was talking about how he had the exact same artist dilemma that we still have today. And just on a relatable sense, here he's getting paid by some king to do this ridiculous art piece that's going to fund his career for the next however many years. But he doesn't have the motivation to do it. He just wants to go and like work on flying machines or whatever. It's like I, there's that, that in essence is the artist dilemma. And the bigger you get, the more money people are willing to throw at you to do creative work for them. And it's an honor. But at the same time, you know, the more you're roped into stuff that isn't what you want to do at its core. And I think I don't have the answer other than just trying to find some balance, being respectful of people's time and knowing when to say yes and when to say no. Um, but yeah, it, it's all, it's all wrapped up in the game of trying to be a creative professional. So it's a fun, a fun dance. Isn't it? <laughs> I love the, the artist yeah. dilemma. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go back to what you said about authentic story. Um, I, I agree. It's hard. It's hard to tell somebody when you're creating that, that, that film, that video, that story, I want you to say it this way, but there's a way to get them to say things and to ask them the right questions. And, and I want to touch on this because you're back to your EM, EMT story. The, the, the documentary did on that, on those EMTs in Provo, Utah. Uh, the one gentleman, I mean, as he's telling a story about, about saving someone, he chokes up, he begins to cry, man, I'm over here with my tissues. I'm all choked up. So, so how do you get to that? Is it something that you plan for ahead of time and storyboard? Like we're going to ask him questions to get him to cry or is it more of a, of a following journalistic type thing where you're like, Oh, that was good. Let's go back and use that. How does that work as a, as a storyteller? So in, in production world with interviewing, you kind of have it in the back. Every interview you want them to cry. If it it involves a story, you want some emotion for sure. And if they're laughing a lot, that's great too. You know, but like, if it's some emotional story with some depth, absolutely. The goal is like, I want to see some tears and we're not shy about saying that in on our end, like let's get this dude to cry. Now it's not like we're manipulating him, but like we know it's in there. You have things that would make you cry if the right in the right moment and the right person asks a question. And sometimes it's like a moment in a movie can do that. And that's, what's so beautiful about art. Um, and so we, the guy in that you're referring to, Dean, he is actually, um, we were not going to film with Dean. He was actually the guy who was kind of like our host. He works, he's an EMT and he's a firefighter and he's worked for a long time, but he's kind of more of the guy who represents Provo um, in a lot of press situations. Hmm. Um, like he'll be the one that speaks to the press. He's not the captain um, or he's not the chief. Um, sorry, I'm like forgetting all the terms, yeah. but a couple months ago we were there. Um, but he's a really, he knows every, he's a guy that knows everybody. Everyone loves Dean. And so great guy. Um, but he was more like, oh, I don't want to be the guy on camera, you know? And we, as we were going, we were filming with a bunch of people and then we had some, some really good interviews where we were like, man, it was the last day and we we're like, Dean, we need you on camera, man. You, you've, we've been talking with you in the truck driving around for three days You've got so many stories. You've got so much to share. We just want to get you on camera and pull out some of that. And so Dean had told us a couple different stories 
Um, and one of them, he did tell us about the kid that like had the heart issue while he's playing basketball. And we're like, tell us about that because where he got choked up every time and it got us choked up was when he said that this guy and him are Facebook friends now. And he sees him posting pictures of like a girl he went on a date with or like they're like a girl he's starting a relationship with. He's like, you would be dead. You wouldn't in seeing his life progress past that moment of, of uh, possible fate, uh, fatal moment. It, it, every time you can see him get choked up. So we're like, let's talk about that. And uh, so that's how that kind of came to be. Um, and we, you know, would he have teared up if we hadn't spent the last three days with him building relationship and like connecting and talking about all sorts of topics and, you know, asking him all sorts of questions about Provo and all that. He probably wouldn't have, he probably would have told it really straight. He probably would have just held it together. Like it was a press conference, but when you have built a relationship and there's trust there again, going back to trust, when there's trust there, he knows what, what type of people we are, what types of things we care about, and he feels comfortable going there. And so he went there, and as we were building the edit, we're like, we really wanted a personal story in the video, and it was no question. Dean's, Dean's choking up about this. Like, how else are you going to end the video? If you got somebody, some, you know, dude with an awesome curled up mustache. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. You got to put that in there. That's awesome. I love I love that, man. Yeah, that, that got me. I've got, of course, we all know somebody in that field, it seems like, right? Even if you don't really know them, you know them. Sure. But I've got, I've got family and friends and like that just really hit me. So yeah, job well done to the crew and, and to Dean That's on right. that. Absolutely. And then I'll link to that in the show notes too. So anybody listening, go back to the storytellersnetwork.com and look at this, uh, the show notes in here. You can watch that sure. video. Just, just good stuff. And it's, it's funny because we're talking about EMTs and how, how, how great they are, but really what that is, that, that's a corporate video striker telling their stories because they use striker products and like, what a great thing from striker. I mean, yep. just awesome to empower that story telling world. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hats off cool. for being forward thinking like that mm-hmm. and understanding that it's not about them. It's about the community that they're passionate about and letting other people share and talk about it and say, we love these type of people and we support them. If you do check it out. So yeah, yeah, very cool. It has to be a lot of fun. How do you, how do you go from that to those? And and again, no dogging on on the corporate clients. I mean, they're all great clients and and, and I know some of the folks that you've worked with um, and and they're great companies, but it doesn't have quite that same power. Do you just still, you still find that why of changing lives and any story that you can, is that how you do that? Yeah, I think so. Um, it is definitely a challenge because like I said, there's documentary type projects like that, that really hit you in the feels and, and give you a lot of passion and energy. And then there's projects that you got to work a little harder to find that. But I think for me, I have a little saying that I'll say to myself once in a while, just when, when the passion runs out, your responsibility kicks in. And, and so for me, I go, the professional thing to do is to treat this client like they're the most important thing in the world to me because they're in front of me. And that's the, the, um, that's what a responsible, professional, respectful business owner would do. And so if we're doing a shoot for someone that's not, you know, the life change isn't so right in front of your face, I think about how it might be affecting lives in, in other secondary tertiary ways. 
like the fact that this business thriving is good for the families and the communities that it supports. So if it's a local business and there's all these people that count on the job, I think about, I literally think about the kids of the people that work at that place and how our work and our excellence on this thing can literally impact the quality of that kid's life because of the piece of content we make performing well for that company. And so that's where I'll draw, um, that's where I'll personally draw inspiration and motivation in doing great work is knowing that this will help that company um, perform better and, and do better things for the families that make up that company. So yeah. that's, that's usually where my mind goes to if I do need the inspiration help. Uh, yeah. Cause some clients, they're good people, but their product's not super interesting. It's not super sexy or whatever. And that's, that's how I think about it to get motivated that's good inspiration i like that um so i could i could talk all day and geek out about video um but i won't do that to you i know you got you got things to do um but i do appreciate your time man this has been awesome i do want to ask you one last question though um yeah. i, I want to get i want to get to your to your uh choke up moment maybe i don't know <laughs> we'll see um i want to know <laughs> if you could only tell one last story and be done calling yourself a storyteller and just have to go work at a just digging ditches. What would that last story be for you? Oh, it'd be a story about a guy who had only one story to tell and had to go dig ditches. <laughs> That'd be tragic. Um, um, you know, I think for me, I think the heart of what you're saying is what's the essence of, of a story that inspires you in some ways. Kind of like uh, Sam Phillips telling Johnny Cash in the movie Walk the Line, like, what would you say? What song would you sing if you're in a ditch? Um, which that didn't really happen that way. I'm a pretty big student of Johnny Cash. Yeah. And uh, Anyway, <laughs> I'd probably do something about Johnny Cash, actually. Yeah. Uh, I find stories of, of – I think we all are drawn to, like, redemption stories. Um, and I think that's why probably I get excited about, like, anything Johnny Cash because his life was such a train wreck for so long and uh to go out on top i actually just did um i'll answer your question this way because frankly i don't know but here's <laughs> what else. i uh i did a talk about this at a at an event of like six months ago i find johnny cash's life super fascinating because he did everything he possibly could to ruin it um in every way he was an awful husband not only to his first wife but he was an awful husband to june she had a tremendous amount of grace for him. Um, he did have a relationship with, with Jesus. And, and, you know, I do think that was true 100%. It seems accurate, but he was a very sinful, vice-filled person. Um, honestly, up until the end. Um, and But, you know, God saw to it that he could stay on the earth long enough to have an artistic redemption. And so... Um, so you're doing it. I'm getting all choked up a little bit. You can't tell you that, but I am. Um, I did a talk on this though, because I find it so awesome that the fact that he got to hang on long enough to have an artistic redemption at the end of his career by working with Rick Rubin and doing the American recordings. And, and I think it just really fascinates me because there's so many wonderful artistic celebrities and, you know, people that end up committing suicide or ending their life early because I don't know why. I, I can't even get in their headspace to think why I want to do that. But like, it's always tragic. And I think at some point deep down, they're having this wager of, you know, should I burn out bright or should I fade away? I think celebrities have such a fear of becoming irrelevant 
and that can be damaging to an ego who has like had their name in marquees and, and had all the fame and the glory and then for their ego to sustain sustain um that fall from that peak so johnny cash very similar to a lot of celebrities whose career fell off from the mid 70s up until about 1995 he was completely irrelevant culturally and just you know the progressives who had embraced him earlier in his career rejected him because now he was a christian and doing things with billy graham and um you know his his work was really weak um his music was really stale and repetitive and um but he got the chance to do these American recordings with Rick Rubin, totally revived his career, got to go out on a high note that I think any artist or, or, or maker would love to do. Think about if you were, you know, 70 years old and putting out the work that's almost the most critically acclaimed work you've ever done, and then you die right after getting all these awards. I'm not saying that that earthly, you know, that earthly accolade should fulfill you, but how awesome that is that he got that chance. And if I ever, you know, I'm not one to, you know, say if I ever go talk to, you know, St. Peter at the Pearly Gates, I'd love to know, like, why did Johnny Cash get that second chance when he should have died 15 times at least when you read his biography and his autobiography. There's so many crazy stories setting national forests on fire, crawling into a cave, trying to commit suicide, all the drugs. You're just like, how did he hang on and get to do that work? And I'm so thankful that he did because we get to have it. We get to hear from this voice for so long. And so that's probably what I do. Something about that. It's a great story to go out on. I love mm -hmm. that. Redemption. That's a good one. Yeah. Very cool, Kevin. Well, hey man, thanks. Thanks for your time today, brother. I appreciate it very much. Where can people find you the easiest? Uh, so in person, if they want to stop in at Civil House Coffee, I'm there all the time. And uh, I love meeting people there. Uh, online, you can hit up rhino.media. I have 15 different websites. So uh, honestly, just start at Rhino. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Just, you know how to do it. Absolutely. And we'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much to my guest, Kevin Romeo of Rhino Story. I am so stoked that I had Kevin on finally. Uh, we've crossed paths a few times and I've seen some of their work over at Rhino and just absolutely incredible. Uh, so yeah, very excited. Thank you, Kevin. You can find everything we talked about in the show notes, the links over there. Uh, and if you liked the episode, please consider sharing it anywhere you want to share it to reach more storytellers, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Snapchat, write on a napkin, uh, just tell somebody, make a shirt that says, I love the storytellers network, uh, podcast, listen to it here. If you make one of those shirts, let me know, take a picture, share it. All right. Cause I want that shirt too. Uh, anyway, so yeah, anywhere you can share it is very helpful. Also helpful reviews. Uh, in fact, here's one from Apple Podcasts I wanted to share from Words with Winos, uh, a very fun podcast. So uh, they say, this podcast is excellent for those who want to succeed in their business. It provides honest stories, which help others not make the errors as the storyteller did. It also provides other pieces of valuable information and awesome listens. So thank you so much, Words with Winos. Uh, appreciate it very much. Always nice to hear from a fellow podcaster. So you can leave your review over on Apple Podcasts as well. Helps us reach new storytellers. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Cheers.